seats. The rest of everybody, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 in our Bibles, if you would, tonight. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. I think we'll, the, the kid's story will sort of lead in a little bit, and I think you'll see the connection here eventually into our message here tonight. Have you ever really wanted something? Maybe you even prayed for it, but for whatever reason, you didn't end up getting it. And down the road, you look back and you thought, oh, God was good to me to not give me what I wanted. Anybody other than me been there before? Uh, there was probably a, a girl or two that I wanted to date. It turned out that it was better that I didn't. I don't know if you, anybody's ever been in that situation. But you know, sometimes getting what we want can end up being the worst thing that can happen. We probably all heard the story of King Midas and the Midas touch. He was a king who, like Solomon, was given an opportunity to have whatever he wished for. But unlike Solomon, in this fictional story, he didn't ask for wisdom. He asked for riches. And his wish was granted to him. What he asked for was that anything he would touch, because he loved two things. He loved his daughter, but he loved gold. And so he asked that anything he would touch would turn to gold. His wish was granted him. He was so excited, he went home, and he got home, and he touched a chair, and that chair turned to gold. He went over, and he touched a book, and the book turned to gold. And I can just imagine, he got so excited, he started going all over the place, touching everything, and seeing everything turn to gold. Oh, he was so excited. Well, you can imagine, at this point, he probably worked up a pretty big appetite. And so he saw some apples sitting over on the table. And he walks over, and he grabs an apple, and he picks it up, and the apple turned to gold. He thought, this is a problem. What am I going to do? He got an idea. He went over and he, he grabbed the fork and he saw some bread over on the other table. And he took the fork and, of course, it turned to gold. And he thought he'd outsmarted everything. He went and put the fork in the bread and brought it up to eat it. And, oh, hurt his tooth. Well, at this point, he realized the huge mistake that he had made. He was in a dangerous predicament, and he began to cry as he sat there at the table. Well, unknowing, his daughter walked in and saw him crying. He didn't hear her come in, but she walked in, saw him crying, and she walked up to him and wanted to console him and put her hand on his shoulder, and the unthinkable happened. King Midas' daughter turned to gold. Well, as you can imagine, it's a tragic story. Midas learned, though, an important lesson, didn't he? A lesson that I want us all to learn tonight. That getting our own way isn't always a blessing. In fact, can often turn out to be a curse. I want to preach a message tonight entitled, The Curse of Getting Your Own Way. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see that the people of Israel approached Samuel with something that they wanted rather than have God lead them. They wanted a king to lead them. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verses 19 through 20. The Bible says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations 
and our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Notice three observations tonight about Israel getting their own way. Roman numeral number one, the first blank there, the reasoning for getting your own way. The reasoning for getting your own way. And let's start off by reading two passages of Scripture, starting off in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 8. 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5, it says, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judge over Israel. By the way, that was the first mistake. We're going to see that. Verse 2, Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his <coughs> second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. But notice verse 3, And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes, money, and perverted judgment. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. Verse 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now, in talking about the reasoning for getting your own way, I want you to notice, A, the people came up with a cover story for why they wanted their way. With a cover story. You see, most people, knowingly or, or unknowingly, come up with a cover story or, or an excuse of why they want to go the direction that they want to go. And in some cases, there might be a pretty good excuse there. But an excuse is still an excuse. Notice number one. Because the Holy Spirit is tugging on our hearts to not go our own way, we feel like we have to justify, as the blank there, the reason for going a different direction so that we can soothe the pricks of our conscience. You see, when you want to go the wrong way, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is there pricking your heart saying, no, 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 don't go that way. Stay on the straight and narrow. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. The Holy Spirit is there working in our hearts. And here's the danger. Even a Christian can sear their conscience. Turn, if you would, real quick, hold your place there, and look at 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see this. A Christian can sear their conscience. The Bible says there, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time, some shall depart from the faith. Hey, I got to tell you, I think we're probably living in the latter times. I, you look at what the scripture says about the, the end times, it sure looks like today. I'm not putting a date on anything, but it sure does look like that. But notice what it says, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. You know, I've seen that happening too. I don't believe that this means you can lose your salvation. I think it means probably like what we see of Lot, right? The Bible called him just Lot. We know he was saved because the Bible called him just Lot. But it said that he vexed his righteous soul with their deeds. He got hanging around the world and hanging around sin. That man, did it affect his life and his family's life? Well, it goes on there in 1 Timothy 4 some shall depart from the faith. doesn't mean they lose their salvation, but they get away from the Lord, giving heed to the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And here it is, notice. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
You know what I believe? Even a Christian can say no to God, say no to God's spirit so much that God says, okay, okay, you can have your own way. I think that's a little bit of what we're going to see tonight here with the children of Israel. Now notice number two, we often look to use someone else's mistakes to justify our own pending wrong choice. We often look to use someone else's mistake to justify our pending wrong choice. Boy, do I see this happen a lot. Notice A, Samuel made the mistake of making his sons judges over Israel. We saw that there in verse 1. Well, that wasn't a good decision. That was the wrong decision. You know, uh, God has qualifications for the people that he places in spiritual leadership. We see qualifications for a pastor in the New Testament in Titus and in Timothy. We see qualifications for a deacon in the church there as well. And God has qualifications for those who are in a position of being of leadership, spiritual leadership for other people. And Samuel's children, sadly, did not walk in his ways, the Bible says there. They did what was wrong. They didn't deserve to be in that place. And Samuel did make a mistake. No make, a mistake no, make no mistake about it. Samuel did make a mistake putting his sons in that position of leadership. But here's the thing. We can't allow somebody else's mistake cause us to make a mistake ourselves. We have to continue to walk before the Lord, keeping our eyes not on men, but on the Lord and on his word. And let me tell you, it is important to choose the right people to have in leadership. Deacons in a church, pastors in a church, that's important. Hey, it's why we need to vote for in our country and do our part. Pray for our leaders. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29 and verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Can I tell you? I hear a story of a pastor who falls, and then you hear of all the other people that fall behind. That's a tragedy. And there's a great responsibility on those, us, that are in spiritual leadership to every day work to walk with God, to keep our hearts close to the Lord. And let me tell you, it's not just pastors, it's moms, it's dads, it's Sunday school teachers, it's school teachers, it's all of us that have some position of leadership. If we leave off from walking with the Lord, any one of us could go astray and cause other people to stray as well. Notice, B, the example of leadership that chooses their own way rather than God's way will influence others to do the same. Look at verses 3 and 5 back in 1 Samuel. Verse 3, it says, And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Look at verse 5, and it says, And said unto him, this is the leaders of, of there in Israel, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So because of Samuel's mistake in choosing his sons to be in that position of leadership, it caused these people to stray and want their own way. We have to be careful about the choices that we make as leaders. 
When leadership that's supposed to be spiritual is hypocritical instead, it opens the door for a lot of damage to be done to the cause of Christ. I can't tell you how many times I run into Christians that are heading the wrong way because of someone who was supposed to be a spiritual leader but wasn't. On the internet, social media, friends that, that I've gone to college with or that I knew in the past, and they say something like, well, I went to an independent fundamental Baptist church where the pastor did such and such, so I'm going to go to this liberal church instead. I can't tell you how many times I run into that. Or, or worse than that, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Folks, listen. We can't allow people, we can't cause stumbling blocks for people so that they get out of God's will and God's way. We have to keep our testimony. We have to keep our character. And we have to keep on the path for the sake of others who are following our testimony and our example. Now, there's a few things to learn from this. As a human being with flesh, listen, remember this. There's sin wherever man is. Wherever there's flesh, there's sin. And so someone may go to another church because someone messed up at one church. Let me tell you, if there's flesh there, there's the possibility for someone to mess up there too. Uh, Flesh, wherever you find flesh, you're going to find sin. But as a leader, I need to realize how large a stumbling block that even the smallest inconsistency in my life can cause. And I need to be working every day. Lord, help me with this thing in my life. Help me to see things I don't see even that my kids could pick up on and, and it could cause them to go a different direction. Lord, search my heart. Show me any wicked thing that's in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. As a Christian, we have to determine not to make excuses because someone else did wrong so that we're going to do wrong. We have to determine to base our lives off of Bible principles. Get this. Okay, this is going to help you. If you're living your lives off of Bible principles and you're not a man follower, then when some man falls, you'll stay in line with what God has said. But so many people are living their lives not off of what the Bible says. A lot of people are sadly ignorant to what the Bible says about a lot of things, about a lot of principles. But instead of living their life off of Bible-based convictions, they decide to live their life off of reactions to other people. Folks, be careful. Be careful to react to the Lord. Be careful to react to his spirit. Be careful to react to his word. And let that keep you on the path that you should go. So learn from the corruption of others, but live by the convictions of his word. Notice B. So we've seen there was a pretense, a false reason, but we actually see the, see the real reason why they went their way. B, eventually they admitted the real story for why they wanted their way. Look at verses 19 through 21. Here in these verses, they give the real reason why they wanted their way. In fact, they come right out and give two very specific reasons. Notice one, they wanted to be like the world, is the blank there. They had a flesh problem. Now look at verses 19 through 20. It says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. And don't miss this, what they say in verse 20. That we also may, can you read it with me there? Be like all 
the nations. Hey, you know what they wanted? They wanted to be like the world. Now listen to me, folks. Every time that we want to be like the world, it's going to take us down the wrong path. And what your flesh wants goes hand in hand with what the world is doing. Worldliness and fleshliness go hand in hand. Your flesh has a default to want what's going on out there. I remember going as a young kid, the Lord had to work in my heart uh, through my parents and other things for having convictions in my life and uh, about music that I listened to. And, and I remember, though, at one point I was going to, you know, Christian uh, rock concerts. And I remember going to one and walking in there, and I looked at the stage, and, man, it looked like a world, worldly rock stage, and I, I, I saw the performers come, and I thought, wow, they don't look any different than, than what you see at a, at a worldly concert, and, and then the music started to play, and honestly, the music wasn't any different than what you'd hear in a worldly concert, but, but, but the words were Christian, you know. Boy, I knew deep in my heart that was not the right place for me to be, but there was one reason why I didn't leave. You know what it was? This right here. My flesh liked it. My flesh enjoyed it. Now, I'm not saying that holy music has to be undesirable. I hope the music that we in worship that we offer to God is beautiful. I hope that it is excellent here in our church and that we work hard to be a testimony and an encouragement to, to, to others and to the Lord in our music. You know, when it comes to dress, I don't think you have to be ugly to dress in a manner that's holy and pleasing to the Lord. Okay, but there's a difference between what's pleasing to my flesh and what's pleasing to the Spirit. There's a big difference. God puts it very plainly in Romans 12, 1 through 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, he says, by the mercies of God. Think of what the Lord's done for you. What? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Listen, that's important, folks, because there's a lot of people out there that say, well, it's just about the heart. Now, now listen to me tonight. It is about the heart. That's where it starts. And if what's on the inside is different than what's on the outside, then I'm a hypocrite. Okay? But what's on the inside will eventually affect the outside, won't it? And what does God say here? He says, present your bodies. Can I tell you, God wants all of you. He wants your heart. But he wants your body and your mind and your soul. He wants all of it. He wants us to be completely committed to God. Yes, God sees the heart. But let me tell you, man sees the outside, and, and that's the testimony that we have to others. The Bible says, let other people see your light, that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, they can't see the faith in our heart, but they see the way that we live, don't they? Yes, God can see our hearts, but man sees the outside. Let me tell you, when you go into a, into a, a grocery store and you're getting ready to pick bananas, um, what, what do you eat on a banana? You, you eat the inside. At least I hope you do. My dog that I used to have loved bananas when I was younger, and he would eat the outside. Not me. I didn't eat the peel of the banana. You eat the inside, right? But when you go to a store, what do you look at? You look at the outside of that banana to know whether it's good or not to eat. Okay, it's that simple, folks. Other people see our life day in and day out. What kind of testimony do they see? Let me tell you, there are people here in Northern Virginia that have never read the Bible. Your life, the way you live your life in front of them may be the only Bible that they ever see. 
What did they read from your life? Well, verse 2 says in Romans 12, 2, uh, he says, be holy, accept one the God, which is your reasonable service. But he goes on to say, and, and be not conformed to this world. He says, have a holy life, not a worldly life. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the way, that happens every day when you open up your Bible and have devotions, and you walk with the Lord, and you spend time with him in prayer. He renews your mind and your heart. But it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we're talking about, the way of God. Not going our own way, but going God's way. You know, when it comes to worldliness, I've often thought about these verses. Why doesn't God define worldliness here? Why doesn't he come out and, and give us a definition of what world? He just says, don't be worldly. I thought, why, did, why didn't the Lord do that? I think there's two important reasons. One, in part, it's because some things that would be worldly in the future didn't exist yet at that point. Uh, some things that men would come out and invent, ways that people would dress, all sorts of different things that didn't exist at that time. That's the beauty of the principles of God's word. They are timeless. And the way God wrote his word and his wisdom can be ap applied across the board no matter what century. And aren't you thankful for that? Well, I tell you, that's a blessing. But I'll tell you another reason. I think it's because he didn't have to define worldliness. I think it's that obvious. And I'll give you an illustration. Tonight, I don't have this, but I thought it'd be cool. I didn't, I didn't do this, but I think it would be a cool illustration. If I had maybe in front of me, uh, you know, so, something salty, maybe like a payday, and, and maybe I had in front of me something sweet, I don't know, like a, maybe a Tootsie Roll, and maybe I had something sour, sour something like a, 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 a Sour Patch, you know, candy or something like that, and I had somebody come up here and and maybe I had them blindfolded, and we gave them that salty thing, and we had them eat that. And we said, hey, okay, what does that taste like? Oh, well, that's, that's, that's salty. That's pretty salty. Okay, okay. And then maybe we switched up, and we gave them another one, and we gave them that Tootsie Roll, and they say, oh, mm, that's sweet. That's sweet. And then we gave them something else, that sour pal. Ooh, maybe, maybe in their face would cringe a little bit. That's a little bit sour. That's, that's, in fact, that's quite sour. Now, listen. If we ask them, can you define what sour is? Uh, sour? It's just like, ooh, you know, it's, it's sour, you know? <laughs> what, what, what is salty? Salty? Well, it's, you know, it's salty, you know? Okay, what's sweet? Well, mm, it's good. Uh, sweet? Well, it's, it's sweet, right? Now, we could get into scientific explanations of why something is salty and why th something is sweet. There's reasons for it, but listen, folks, those tastes, they're so obvious that a little kid could tell you those things. Now, listen, get this. The taste of worldliness, because that's what it is, is so obvious that even a little kid can tell you. And in fact, our kids a lot of times did. We'd be out at a restaurant and someone would turn on some music that wasn't good, and our kids out loud, you know, bad music, bad music, <laughs> you know. Or, uh, you know, some guy, um, uh, some guy would, would, would have a bad attitude toward his wife. Oh, that's not, he's not being nice. Okay, shoot, he's a lot bigger than me, okay? Okay. You know, worldliness isn't that hard to discern for a Christian, actually. God has given us a conscience. Let me tell you why worldliness is hard. 
It's because our flesh says there, I know that's wrong, but I want that. I like that. That's why worldliness is difficult. But to really understand and discern what's worldly and what's not, it's not that hard. Notice number two. They wanted someone who would do what they wanted. They had a pride problem. Uh, Look at verse 20, the second part. It says, they say there, notice the pronouns here, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Boy, they were just thinking about what they wanted, weren't they? They had a pride problem. So they they wanted to be like the world. They had a flesh problem, and they, they wanted someone who would do what they wanted. They had a pride problem. Do you remember what, with Saul, their first king, actually, ironically, when he disobeyed the Lord and offered uh, sacrifices up himself when he wasn't supposed to? Do you remember how Samuel started off confronting him in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 17? He said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, what happened? Pride happened. So we've seen here the reasoning for wanting your own way, and we're going to go quick now. Number two, the rejection in getting your own way. And we see this in verses six through eight. Choosing our own way demonstrates a rejection of certain people and principles in our life. Lee Harvey Oswald, believe it or not, was actually a United States Marine. Ironically, the man credited for the assassination of President Kennedy took an oath to defend and protect the people of this country and her president. But shortly after joining the Marine Corps, Oswald became disillusioned with America and with its society. And he began to read Marxist literature. He read people like Marx and and Lenin, various communists. Well, in 1959, he defected to Russia. He actually went into the American embassy there and said, I'm renouncing my American citizenship. And he handed over his passport. Well, the guy said, oh, come on, don't do that. You're going to find out. You're really, this is a mistake. Don't do that. Nope. And he walked out. He found out that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. He got married there in that year. But because his, his uh, uh, renouncement of his U.S. citizenship didn't actually process, he was allowed to get his passport again and go back to the United States, which he did. But even though he went back to the United States, his path had definitely gone a different direction. And of course, you know the rest of the story. His mind was made up. You know, when we decide to go down our path, think about this, there is no telling where that rejection will lead. Notice two ways here that our rejection of God's way for our own way affect others. A, getting our way is damaging to other people who have invested their lives in us, A. Other people who have invested their lives in us. I think about all that Samuel had done and what he had invested into the people of Israel. And yet we read in verses 6 through 7, but the thing displeased Samuel. Boy, he was, he was heartbroken about this. He was hurt when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, verse 7, and the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee. He felt like they had rejected him, didn't he? That's why he was sad, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Look down at verse 8. He says, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Boy, I tell you, they hurt Samuel. 
through what they chose here. But notice, and if we're not careful, we'll run over people that are important to us on the path to getting our own way. But notice B, getting our own way isn't just damaging to people who have invested their lives in us. It's damaging to our personal relationship with God. Because we read there in verse 7, The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have what? Rejected me. Now notice three things. Number one, Israel's desire for a king displayed their rebellion toward God. Verse 7 there, in, in verse 8, notice verse 8, According to all the works which they have done, their works testified against them, their rebellious works. He says, since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto the day wherewith they have forsaken me. And you think about the different things that they had done from the point that he took them out of Egypt. They whined there in the wilderness. We're thirsty. We're, we're hungry. We want to go back to Egypt. Why didn't you just let us die there? It would have been better to stay in Egypt. Their impatience, as pastors preached about recently, when Moses went up to receive the commandments from God, only 40 days. And here they were disobedience and wickedness as Moses came down off the mountain. Boy, let me ask you this. What do your works display? What do your works speak about you? It showed their rebellion toward God. Notice number two, Israel's desire for a king demonstrated their ungratefulness to God, didn't it? They were ungrateful. Verse 8, according to all the works which they had done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt. Not just the works they had done, but what about the works God had done for them? Wonderful things that God had done. God loved them. And, and you think about all that he had done, the ten plagues, uh, that, the miracles that he did for them to be set free from their slavery and their, uh, all the things they were going through there in Egypt. And then the parting of the Red Sea and later the parting of the Jordan to get in the promised land. The water that he gave them from the rock. The manna that he fed them from heaven. And when they got tired of that, the quail meat that he gave them. The walls of Jericho falling. The many victories throughout the promised land. We could go on and on and on about the works that God did for them. But you know what? Them wanting a king showed that they were ungrateful for those things. Three, Israel's desire for a king disclosed their infidelity to the one true God and their affinity for false gods and idols. Verse 8, we saw that, wherewith they have forsaken me and what? Served other gods. So do they also unto thee. And you remember the golden calf, they collected their jewelry and, and, and they along with Aaron, made that golden calf to worship. Later on, it was worshiping idols like Baal. They even made high places there in the land of promise that God had given to them. They made high places to worship other gods. But let me tell you something. You don't have to have an idol on your shelf at home to have idolatry in your life. Because, folks, any time that we exalt something above the Lord, we have a heart that is idolatrous. So let me ask you tonight, is there something that has become more important to you than to the Lord? Maybe you're starting to go off the path in your own way from the path that God wants you to go. Notice number three then. Now that we've seen the reasoning uh, for their own way and the rejection in their own way, but we see the repercussions of getting your own way. In verses 9 through 18, you ever gotten what you wanted and it left you? With an emptiness. I remember one Christmas as a kid, I wanted a Super Nintendo. Now that dates me a little bit. Actually, I played with Atari when I was growing up. But when I was a teenager, I wanted a Super Nintendo. And uh, 
I probably bugged my parents to death for the Super Nintendo. Every list, Christmas list that I gave them, every time I saw them, I was asking for the Super Nintendo. I wanted it really bad. My neighbor had a Nintendo, and all I ever had was Atari, you know? And I, oh, I could get a Super Nintendo. Oh, that would be amazing. And wouldn't you know it, that Christmas, I opened up the present, and there was the Super Nintendo, the thing I wanted so much. But you know what, in my heart? I wasn't all that happy. I thought this thing was going to be great, and I was going to be so happy when I finally got this thing. But do you know, I remember this, there was like a hollowness inside of me. There was like this emptiness there. It didn't make me as happy as I thought it was going to make me. You know, getting your own way doesn't turn out to be all that. Solomon tried all sorts of what he wanted, didn't he? And he said at the very beginning of the book in Ecclesiastes and at the end in chapter 12, this same statement, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He tried everything, and he realized that it was empty. Now, you would have thought that the children of Israel would have learned the lesson from their past history of wanting what they wanted in the wilderness. You know, God gave them their request, it says in Psalm 106.15, but it says he sent leanness into their soul. That's what I experienced that Christmas when I had made such an emphasis on that thing in my life, God allowed me to understand it's not things that bring happiness to our hearts. It's him. We saw in the last point that getting our way is damaging to our relationship with others, God and man. But I want you to see as we close, it's bad for you. When we talk about the repercussions of getting your own way, it's bad for you. It's not good. Notice A, where God fought the battles for Israel before, now they would fight the battles for a king. I don't know about you, but I sort of like the idea of God fighting my battles. I think he does a lot better going to war than I would. But now, notice verse 11, they were going to have to fight for, the, for, for a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. Hey, instead of God being your rearward and God fighting for you, now you're going to have to fight for a king. That's what you're going to get. If you want, if you get your way. And then B, where God provided food for them in the wilderness, a king would require them to sow and reap his harvest and prepare his food. Isn't this interesting? Look at verses 12 through 13. It says, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground, that's sowing, and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war, instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. Where God provided their food miraculously for them, now they were going to have to work and provide food for a king. Ironic. Notice, see, where God gave them their own lands when they came into the promised land, they came to the promised land, and God started dividing up all these lands and giving those lands to his people. He loved them, and he wanted to reward them for their faithfulness. Where God gave land, the king would take their land for himself, and he would take the best of the land, the Bible says here. Verse 14, and he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. This is what you're going to get if you get a king. Notice D, where God gave them the choice to serve and tithe to him, gave them a choice, a king would force them as the blank to give and be his servants. In verses 15 through 17, and he will take the tenth of your seed, take it. Right? When we tithe, we do it out of, our, out of our, a cheerfulness of our heart. The Bible says, be a cheerful giver. 
We do it because we love the Lord. We want to give back to the Lord. It's a choice that God gives us to show our love to him. But not with the king. It says he'll take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your, your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. See, God gives us the choice to serve him. He doesn't force us. God gives us the choice to give back to him in our ties. He doesn't force that upon us. But you're going to choose a king? Yeah, he'll force you to be his servants. He'll force you to give that tithe to him. And then he, where God would hear their cry, cry before, now they would have, a cry to, have to cry to a king that may or may not help them. Verse 18, and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which he shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. What a sad thing. This is the warnings. These are the warnings that Samuel gave to them and said, okay, and I can maybe just imagine Samuel's mind, oh, listen to these things. They're not going to choose the king. Uh-uh. They listened to all that. They said, we know, we know, we know. But no. We want our way. We want a king. Folks, when you have the Lord, why would you want anyone or anything else? Tonight, let's determine to choose the Lord and his way. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just a moment, we'll have a, a piano play, a hymn of invitation. We've seen the results of choosing your own way instead of the Lord's. I want to remind you that God's way, hey, listen, it's the best way. Maybe the Holy Spirit's tugged on your heart that you need to regain your focus. Maybe you've take a, taken a few steps off of his path, and why not come and reset your direction tonight? Say, God, I, I've gotten off a little bit, but I want to walk your way. I want your way. I don't want my own way. Maybe there's a desire that you've had, and you want to come and lay that on the altar, and just make sure. Make sure that that desire that you have, that it's the desire that God has for you. I don't know how God's spoken to your heart. But we're going to pray, and as the piano plays, won't you do business with the Lord? Father, thank you that your way is perfect. And thank you that your way is full of joy, full of blessings. But God, from time to time, our flesh lies to us and convinces us that what the world offers is a better way. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Help us not to choose our own way, but help us to choose God's way. In Jesus' name, amen. As the piano plays tonight, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open, won't you come? just a minute, I'd encourage you when you're done taking some time with the Lord, would you take some time with the prayer sheet there and lift these requests up to the Lord. There's some important requests on here tonight, some folks that are have some great needs, both physically, spiritually. Appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for your attention to God's Word. Let's take a moment and let's pray over these prayer requests and then we'll go out to the lobby and have a chance to 
enjoy the fellowship together. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for coming tonight.